Welcome to another episode of Destination Declassified, the channel that continues to unmask the great conspiracies and UFO mysteries of our time. In the age of Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, information and reports of unidentified phenomena can often be misconstrued, or at worst, not taken seriously enough. Anyone can fake a so-called sighting or paranormal experience, especially if the event is conveniently caught on tape. To try and decipher the truth from the fictitious can be a laborious task, one that many people soon become frustrated with. It is often said that the most candid and believable stories are told by those who wish to remain humble or out of the spotlight. Whether it be war veterans, emergency service personnel, or even a witness to a UFO. If this statement is true by its own admission, then it's worth investigating the strange case which occurred in the summer of 1979 involving a small-town deputy sheriff named Val Johnson. What exactly happened in the early hours of August 27th to the deputy sheriff? What makes Johnson's story so authentic that it remains in the public eye to this very day? And what subsequent events have changed the way we look at UFOs, as well as the witnesses that decide to come forward? Let us go back to 1979 and dissect the mysterious Minnesota UFO incident. Despite the mass reach of the internet, there is not much known or recorded with regard to Val Johnson, other than the story we are about to investigate. What we do know is that in August 1979, Johnson was Deputy Sheriff of Marshall County, the small northwestern region of the US state of Minnesota, which has become renowned for the incident that occurred over 40 years ago. Before the event that changed the life of Deputy Johnson and Marshall County itself, it all started with a routine inspection by Johnson as he drove his patrol car through the isolated terrain of County Highway 5, 10 miles west of the city of Stephen. At 1.40am on the morning of August 27th, the deputy noticed a brightly lit orb in the distance which was split between two trees and extremely out of place considering the desolate area. Curious as to what this illumination was, Johnson turned left onto State Highway 220 to make his approach. Keeping his eyes firmly on the entity, which was approximately two and a half miles south of his position, the deputy began to rack his brains as to what the light could be. As he drew closer, Johnson settled on the assumption that it could in fact be drug smugglers who had flown across the Canadian border, with the intention of trekking across the uninhabited region under the cover of darkness. With the light emitting very close to the ground, Johnson was sure that it was a small plane that had crash-landed and so readied himself for whatever was about to happen. However, nothing could prepare him for what did. I noticed a very bright, brilliant light, 8 to 12 inches in diameter, 3 to 4 feet off the ground, Johnson said in a taped police interview. The light itself suddenly flew directly towards the squad car, engulfing the exterior and penetrating the windshield as it struck the glass with an almighty force. The apparent assault on the police car was so effective that Johnson lost consciousness immediately after impact and remained unconscious for a further 39 minutes. His 1977 Ford LTD squad car lying sideways in a ditch on the side of the road. When he managed to rally himself back to full awareness, 
Deputy Johnson made a frantic, officer in need of help, 1088 emergency radio call to report the incident. Still disorientated from the blast, Val spoke with general anxiety and worry when the operators took the call. A transcript of the call was released as follows. Operator, 407, what is your condition? Deputy Johnson, I don't know, something just hit my car. I don't know how to explain it. Strange. Those first on the scene reported that the car was indeed lying within a roadside ditch. Shattered glass was also noticed. Approximately 854 feet before the initial skid marks on the tarmac. Due to the strange display of the car, grounds and surrounding area, a crash technician specialist was called in to provide his expertise and opinion on what may have occurred. The consultant who worked for Ford themselves came to the primary conclusion that the damage was unusual, considering the sequence of events that seemed to transpire across the terrain. The squad car sustained in total a dented hood, bent antennas, shattered windshield, a broken headlight and a broken hazard light. The force of the strike was so strong that it was able to send the vehicle across the stretch of highway and therefore required in-depth analysis. After careful examination, the Ford specialist noted that the fractures on the car were made by some type of a blow from outside of the glass by some firm, probably hard object, but with not sufficient force to crush the glass, but enough to bend the glass to the point of breaking it. He also concluded, I have not seen anything like this before. Luckily for Deputy Johnson, he would survive the strike with limited injuries, bruises, fractured teeth, a slight bump on the head and eye irritation which the attending physician attributed to welder burns, were recorded. Another interesting fact was the time on Johnson's watch and dashboard clock. Both had ticked 14 minutes slow, despite them being correct at the time of the incident. The investigation continued to span over the course of 40 years due to the strange nature and witness testimony by the deputy. Val Johnson was a kind, intelligent and professional deputy who had no known mental afflictions or illnesses nor did he participate in practical jokes to frighten his colleagues or waste their time. So what could have happened? It wouldn't take long before the story went public, and everyone wanted to know what occurred on that quiet highway, which left his fellow officers and specialists baffled. Johnson was not one to seek attention in any way, and is known to have told reporters that the sudden media attention had caused him and his family a great deal of emotional strain. His house and office at the Sheriff's Department received a constant influx of telephone calls by numerous strangers, reporters and so-called fellow UFO witnesses. The pressure was beginning to show on Johnson and his wife Rosina that she went on record to tell the readers of the Minneapolis Star that it's completely disrupted our family organization. We have a baby and that takes time. We have one to get off to school and the phone keeps ringing. Johnson decided to remain a deputy for a short while after the night of the incident, before taking up a post as chief of police in the nearby town of Oslo. Despite his quiet demeanour and request for a peaceful existence, the phone continued to ring, with more and more questions, offers and claimants coming forward. To try and answer the demands, once and for all, Johnson would speak to Barbara Dewey of the Associated Press and on September 11th, 1979, appeared on Good Morning America via the ABC network. Having been run ragged by the whole ordeal, the family decided to move house again, this time to the city of Eau Claire in the neighbouring state of Wisconsin. 
Back in Marshall County, the Sheriff's Office, led by Sheriff Dennis Breck, continued to carry out their subsequent investigations into the event, attempting to bring closure to the subject and thus fend off the constant media attention. The Air Force and Federal Aviation Agency were brought in to share their findings with the Sheriff. Representatives from both institutes confirmed that there was no scheduled aircraft due to fly in the region at the time and date of the blast. Seeking a more obscure opinion, especially for the time, Breck ordered a magnetic testing procedure on the squad car with assistance from the Central of UFO Studies, based in Evanston, Illinois. This attempt, coupled with an engineering check by those at Honeywell Industries, did little to answer the question as to what had struck the vehicle during the early hours of August 27th. As time wore on, as did the frustration and determination of Sheriff Breck and his team, Unfortunately, the investigation would amount to very little. An accident expert by the name of Mirrodin French from Ford Motor Company had studied the car and its damage for several days. Again, the conclusion was rather vague. However, French was able to ascertain that the cracks along the car and windshield occurred simultaneously, as well as an interesting theory with regards to Johnson's physical ailments. According to the Ford consultant, Johnson's injuries could have had something to do with the visit to the local dentist just a few days prior to the incident on the highway. X-rays were taken of Johnson's teeth as part of the dentist's preparatory requirements for work, which was to be carried out in the near future. The pictures showed the deputy's teeth in fine condition, but a secondary X-ray after the crash showed that the bridges were no longer intact and visibly swollen. It is reported that Johnson claimed that his face, especially his mouth, had been hit with a 400-pound pillow, yet the interior of the car contained little to no damage. By ruling out a stroke as the cause of the injury due to numerous test results, doctors and physicians were left bewildered at how it occurred. With the apparent mystery surrounding the car, terrain, and of Deputy Johnson himself, there was evidently more questions than answers. One of the ufologists on the case, Alan Clark, claimed that Johnson refused to take a polygraph test, as he believed it would only serve to satisfy people's morbid curiosity. In 1982, Johnson was hired by the Rose Police Department of Minnesota. Unfortunately, he would lose his job a mere 12 months later due to an argument over funding. From there, he took a less pressured job as a security guard at Twin Cities Mall, as well as a customer service operator at 3M. Staying away from the limelight and fanatics from the UFO and conspiracy communities, Johnson would look on as books, TV shows, and continuous investigations were broadcast and conducted at the scene and surrounding areas of Marshall County. In 1983, author and UFO skeptic Philip Klass stated in his book, UFOs the Public Deceived, that Johnson had deliberately damaged his patrol car and that the whole incident was an elaborate hoax. Gossip within the town of Warren brought national coverage to the area, as well as the Historical Society, who preserved the Ford vehicle itself, or UFO car, as it's now become known, as an attraction for people to visit. And so the question still remained, what happened to Deputy Sheriff Val Johnson on the morning of August 27, 1979? In 2015, Deputy Dennis Breck succumbed to the realisation that the case may never be solved by stating... This didn't seem to be any airplane. It was way faster than something like that. And concluded, we do believe that our deputy had an encounter with something that we haven't been able to explain yet. 
No one has ever been able to answer the question or provide substantial evidence to prove or disprove the event. In 2019, the residents of Warren decided to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Johnson's UFO encounter. Live music, public speakers, and an alien costume contest were conducted, as was a dramatic reenactment of Johnson's vision and distressed radio call. Interestingly, it was reported that just two days after the occurrence on the highway that morning, another motorist who was driving across county in South Dakota was also struck by a bright, luminous object. Russ Johnson does not only share the surname of the deputy, but almost the exact same story as it occurred. Mr. Johnson maintains that he was not aware of the incident that befell the deputy and was not looking for media attention. Another interesting and important note is that the ball of light that struck the deputy has since been classed as a CE2 in relation to the Hynek scale. As discussed before on this channel, Dr. J. Allen Hynek was an American astronomer, professor, and ufologist who generated a table in which UFO and extraterrestrial encounters were recorded and scored via a numbered scale in relation to their proximity. CE2 relates to a close encounter of the second kind, its official description being attributed to a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged, either interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, a psychological effect such as paralysis, or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation, or a chemical trace. Unfortunately, the case remains open and shows no signs of being resolved. So whatever happened to Deputy Bell Johnson? Researchers found it extremely hard to track him down. When they did, some felt he was still traumatized and haunted by what had happened that morning all those years ago. Johnson is now in his 70s, retired, and still resides with his wife in Wisconsin, enjoying the occasional visit from his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Perhaps the most surprising thing to take from this story is that Johnson never believed or said that what he saw that morning was of extraterrestrial intelligence or origin. If not a UFO, then what could it possibly have been? I guess we'll never know. In today's technological world, with all its fake videos, testimonies, and unbelievable encounters, it is certainly worth listening to those who are most reliant to tell their story. The great mystery surrounding unidentified flying objects, aliens, and the enigma that is the cosmos continues to spark debate and conversation. Perhaps we need to take a step back and give credence to those who are not seeking credibility, fame, or money. This may be where the truth really lies. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Destination Declassified. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you in the next episode.